The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the NBC Sports Ed Circling the Bases podcast. I'm your host, Matt Williams. You can find me on Twitter at M-A-T-T. WI77IMS. We're here for the weekend recap show like usual, but instead we're diving a little bit going into next year. We're having a, uh, we had a live mock draft over the weekend and we're going to take a look at the first five rounds joining me for the first time on at least my, my uh, a particular branch of circling the bases uh, over joining me at NBC sports as Mr. George Bicell. What's going is- on, Matt? How are you? Good <laughs> Pretty to talk good. to you. It is George Bissell. We're just saying he should have the, uh, the Bissell's Bicell. Uh, article for fantasy baseball and uh anyway welcome welcome to at least you've been on the you know you've been on circling the bases anyone who subscribes and if you don't go ahead subscribe now um you know you've been on the show before but yeah you're welcome welcome to monday mornings where i guess at this point in the year everyone's just super upset about fantasy football <laughs> but hey we're gonna talk a little bit of baseball Sounds good. I got my coffee. I'm ready to go. And we're going to talk about next year. I mean, it's, this is the fun part of the year where you, you can kind of extrapolate into next year, look at some of the performances already from this season and uh, some of the conclusions you can draw based on late season numbers and kind of figure out where you want to go next year with things looking ahead. So it's going to be fun. So well, the, uh, the, uh, the mock draft that we did was 12 team Roto, um, you know, kind of, you know, nothing too, too crazy. And this time of year, again, there's no ADP. Everyone has their own kind of random thoughts. So I, I did put together a pretty solid group. So um, there will be some picks everyone disagrees with, but that is definitely the purpose of this exercise to get an idea of how far off or how close everyone values players going into next season. And we want to hear your opinion too. So we'll go through this and I can link the actual draft board in the show notes so you can see them on Twitter and let us know uh, what you think of some of this picks. Um, Starting at the very top, the number one pick, which I, I had actually posted. I, I didn't post the results, but on Twitter I had asked everyone that the, the first pick surprised me, and I had everyone take a guess. I, I want to say I had about like 80 guesses. Only one person guessed the correct answer. And um, anyway, uh, first of all, by the way, uh, Zach Roto is uh, the person who made the first pick, at Zach Roto on Twitter. He's over at Roto Baller. He does the Draft Champagne um, podcast and does a lot of NFBC high stakes Um uh, leagues and of that nature and he took yankees pitcher garrett cole number one overall so i guess there's a couple of questions here george one are you into taking a starting pitcher that early uh because you know, it's between casual 12 team leagues and when i say casual i mean like you know your home leagues ones that maybe are as um you know galaxy brained uh you know the you see a little more traditional things at the top but this isn't anything crazy for nfbc type people like zach um so one 
the way of the pitching landscape, especially with all the injuries this year, you know, innings are hard to come by. Would you consider taking a pitcher at the top? And if you were, is it Garrett Cole? Yeah, my, my issue here with this is not so much taking the pitcher. It's the pitcher himself. I, I, I understand the case for Garrett Cole. It's more of a volume play, I would imagine. Uh, you're looking at the strikeout rates. You're looking at the durability. You're looking at the win potential and sort of locking that in. I just would be hesitant to do that at the front end of a snake draft and, and with sort of the top pick here. I, I'm not opposed to taking a pitcher early, and there's been a lot of research on this front. Uh, one of my uh, good friends, Mike Gianella, who's a writer at Baseball Prospectus, he's written over the last couple of years that the uh, return on investment has actually been more consistent for upper echelon starting pitchers than the rest of the pitching landscape by a pretty considerable margin. And then you also factor that into uh, comparing that to hitters, and they've actually outperformed top end hitters the last couple of seasons. So I, I understand the case for taking a starting pitcher here. I just probably wouldn't have gone with Cole. I, I much prefer some of the other arms that we're probably going to talk about here in a little bit, but all right, well, yeah. we'll, we'll get to them, but like just uh, for the sake of argument, if you were one, one and you had to take a pitcher, who would your guy be? I would have said DeGrom. I mean, it's I, I think it's still him. I, I think this year is kind of a little bit of an outlier. You can probably make a case for Scherzer. Corbin Burns would probably be, in that conversation, I'd, I'd probably lean Burns if I had to. He's the best combination of age and talent. When you look at DeGrom and, and Scherzer, there's a little bit more of an injury risk there. Uh, not so much with Scherzer just because of his recent track record, but because of his age, you, you have to factor that in a little bit. But those guys would be the, the guys I'd be considering there at the top of the first round for sure. Okay, and we'll get to a lot of those names before. I wouldn't have taken Cole at the top either only because – I actually have I have the uh, I have an elite tier. Not like Degrom was this year, where he was far and away the one, and then consensus was it was Colin Bieber by in their own little tier, and then there was a large group after. I just have a very large group at the top. Um, yeah, I and I have ones I prefer, and I can probably get them at the turn. So uh, that's why I wouldn't go at the top. Uh, number two to MLB moving averages. Anyone who listens to this show obviously knows John Legaze over at FTN. He takes Fernando Tatis Jr. number two. Not a huge surprise. Uh, we don't have to spend a lot of time here, George. But any concern with the shoulder? I mean, we we when he had it in early season, people like wrote him off for the year, and then he came back really early. Then re-injured the shoulder, come back. Nothing seemed to slow him down. It's either him or Harper for the NL MVP at this point. The reports are originally that he was always going to have off-season surgery to fix it. Now that doesn't seem like it may be a guaranteed case. So, I mean, at the 101-102, are you just like, it's Tatis perfectly happy with it? Or is there any worry whatsoever? I'm not worried at all about Tatis. I mean, if, if he's hitting 40 home runs with a bad shoulder, that's uh, I'm, I'm okay with it. That's fine with me. <laughs> I think the surgery question is interesting because you always want to try to avoid surgery if you can. So I think that's the route they're going to go. And if it's not bothering him, there's not a lot of incentive to go in there and do something where he's then going to require a lengthy rehab. So I think they'll see how he feels going into the spring. The, the problem is that it's a persistent issue. So if it keeps cropping up, then it becomes problematic where there's a point where if he re-injures it, he might not be able to avoid surgery. So that's the question mark long term with him. But that's not something you really think about in a redraft. I think he's a surefire top five pick, and I don't have a problem with it. Um, I want to jump back to your your point about the starting pitching landscape because you, you made a really great point there that it's more of I like the whole group in general, and I wouldn't be the, I don't want to be the first one to take someone from that group. I kind of want to be the last person to take one of those elite first round starting pitchers because I feel like they're comparable as a group. So I want to be the last person to take one rather than the first. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And you said the thing about uh, to jump back to Tatis that it's not something you want to worry about in redraft, and that's absolutely true. I think that uh, if you were in a dynasty league, for example, and you and you were the Tatis manager, maybe you want him to like season's over, get the surgery, <laughs> um, have the full off season to recover from it. But again, have no control over it, nothing to worry about. Right. But um, drafting this early, um, there was a couple. There's a there's one player that usually is drafted at the top that really fell. We'll get to in a bit. It's because we don't know anything right now. Number three um, went Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, I guess this is, is the one Soto pick this year, the one where everyone thinks he's the best hitter in baseball, which he's going for the triple crown, not a lot of speed. Um, do you believe in taking a hitter like this at the very top that can't get you speed? I guess that's it's a full philosophical thing. Either you, you're either in starting pitching or stolen bases or you're not, but that's that's usually the thing that kind of like held, held holds guys like this back. Yeah, that's sort of the million-dollar question here is, is can you survive in stolen bases going with an elite four-category guy? And I think it makes it more challenging. You're, you sort of have a narrower path to getting where you need to get to with steals where you're looking at in, say, the third or fourth round, you maybe have to lean towards somebody who's going to get you double-digit steals as opposed to leaning for more of a power hitter or another starting pitcher to bolster a rotation. So I think it makes it more difficult, and it definitely leads you down a path where you start to gamble on those sort of one-dimensional speed-only types in the later rounds, and you start to look at that. So, yeah, I I struggle with this. I I think – it's tough because you can't pass up the skills and the situation. It's such a great lineup that he's he's the main engine. He's the, the driving force in that Blue Jays lineup, which is probably going to still be very good le- next year. Even if they lose Marcus Semien at the top there, that's still going to be a very loaded lineup. So I don't have a lot of concern with it. Those are the types of the hitters that are those generational talents. You can just kind of lock them in and then try to fill out the rest of your roster after. But it certainly does make speed more complicated, as you mentioned, moving forward in the rest of your draft. What pair would you like more? And again, this isn't a force thing. Uh, I just happened to make it first base shortstop um, because of the player we're about to talk to next. Would you rather have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the first round and like Tim Anderson in the third round? Um, or would you rather have Trey Turner in the first round and, uh, and, and get Matt Olson in the third round? I think I'd probably lean Turner Olsen because Olsen's become a much more complete hitter. It used to be kind of a question on the batting average, but he's made a lot of strides and gotten better in the batting average department. That's a good lineup there in Oakland. They're going to lose some pieces this offseason, but the the main guys are still going to be there. So I think I'd lean that way. I've always been a Tim Anderson guy. I think he's kind of been undervalued the last couple of years, but sort of the persistent leg issues down the stretch here are a little bit odd, and I'm a little bit worried about it because once you start to get those sort of physical issues – the stolen bases, the, there's not a lot of incentive for you to keep doing that. So they yes. tend to dry up. So I, that'd be my concern uh, there. But sometimes you're wrong about speed aging. I mean, look at Whit Merrifield. I didn't think he'd be in you know his early 30s still stealing 40 bases a season. So mm-hmm. sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're wrong. It's a, it's a, but I think I'd lean with the, the Turner-Olsen combo to me. I think you're getting elite speed and you're getting elite power there too and a pretty high floor even in a worst case scenario for both guys, they're still going to be extremely valuable. There's this uh, league, the battle of the podcast, where it's just a bunch of people in the fantasy baseball industry. A lot of the people, the audience would know just fighting each other, like, and you know, Justin Mason's in there. I like actually a lot of the people in, in this, cause that's actually where we started. This was in the chat room for that. Uh, I wanted to win that league, like by a lot. It's not a, it's not a um, overall, but I said, I'm going to, I just, I'm going for the entire thing. I want to crush everyone. So I took trout in round one and Mondesi in round two because I wanted to get – it's basically like the Vladimir Guerrero pick of sorts, 
and then um you know and then i got modesty to try to get the stolen bases this year you can kind of do that with like guerrero and then maybe on the way back if you can try to drive starling Marte, uh something like that you can try to you know if you're going to go that uh, no stolen base route in the, in the first, there are a couple people, you know, there's a, you know, Jake Kyle Tucker, if he falls there, it all depends. 15 team leads and we'll get to there, but um, you know, it's an interesting strategy. I think it's tough, especially at this stage in the year, because you're going to look back from this six months ago and be like, man, what was I thinking on that? But um, <laughs> it's, it's tough to project these types of things out. So my attitude towards elite players in the, in the first couple of rounds is gravitate towards the guys you're most confident about, especially in a snake format where sometimes you maybe have to reach a little bit more than you probably wanted to, to, to secure a certain player, or you go the opposite route and just kind of take what the board gives you, who falls to you and then construct your team around that as you go. So those are my two sort of approaches with these types of drafts. And I, I, I sort of like to hone in on a couple of guys at each spot that I, I would like to build my team around and, and go that way because at the end of the day, it's just go with your gut and who you're confident with is going to be, uh, you know, that top of the draft elite performer uh, than than taking a risk. I think that's that's where I, I think people get into trouble is when they try to extrapolate and reach on on guys who haven't shown it before in the earlier rounds. Uh, the the fourth pick in the first round at sports with a Z sports underscore nut fifty one. That's Dave Funnel at Roto Fanatic takes Trey Turner. No shock there. That's a perfectly fine pick. And uh, at MDRC0508, that's Mr. Doctor, <laughs> Mr. Mike Carter, also over at uh, at uh, Roto Fanatic over at Fantrax. He takes Juan Soto. And at uh, at the pick number six, Justin Mason takes Shohei Otani. What are your thoughts on him, George? Because I think the big question there is, um, can he stay healthy? Because even if he doesn't pitch, and only hits, which you know most fantasy leagues are using him for one or the other. For this particular instance, he drafted the hitter. Um, one injury pitching could still affect his hitting. He's had a giant slide in the second half. So you're either thinking, all right, even if he plays half a year, look at his first half as a ceiling, but then look at his second half as, as the floor. Is, is this year's production something that you think is more of an expectation? You can draft him in the first round expecting – or do you think that this just happens to be like an 80, 85 percentile outcome and uh, the ROI is a risk? Because I think that'll be – I'll be interested to see where he ends up going because he, he's definitely not risk-free as a DH-only hitter. Well, there's, there's two sorts of questions there. Is what he's doing this season sustainable? Probably not, but some close approximation of it probably is as a hitter and as a pitcher, will he do those two things simultaneously? I think that's the million dollar question and it's impossible to know, but we've seen what the upside looks like with, with this season in particular. And I think you bring up an interesting question where, well, what is the floor with Otani? I, I think at this point we kind of know he's going to be productive uh, as both a hitter and a pitcher. So you kind of want to project, well, what am I, what am I going to get floor wise from him? And I think, the expectation is with starting pitcher workloads declining league wide, you don't need as many innings from Otani as I think you probably would have five, 10 years ago to, to be an extremely valuable pitcher. And as a hitter, he's still really good. Even with the second half, he's kind of struggled. He had a start today against uh, the A's where he, he had 26 swinging strikes and 10 strikeouts. So he's still capable of putting together the, the occasional brilliant outing. So, I think the, the floor is actually really high. It's just I think the ceiling might not get to where it was this season. That's going to be the question there. I, I think at the end of the day, it's, he's not going to completely bust out because he's just so good at both of those things. It's just 
you know, you might not get both of them at the same time for a full six month season next year. That's the, that's the risk you run with taking him this high. Okay. I mean, drafting him here, you're basically expecting 260, 270, at least batting average, 40 home runs, 20 stolen bases. That's what you're, that's what you're wanting. Um, are you comfortable taking him in the first round with those expectations? Yeah, I think at this point you have to. I, I don't think he's going to fall out. Someone's going to do that. Someone will take that that <laughs> risk. So if you're confident in Otani and you know he's he's your guy, I, I totally see it. I don't. I, I, there's I nothing be, to say I will, at this I point. Be, about Otani, I was right? out last year. I was incredibly wrong. I'll be out next year. I could be incredibly wrong. Uh, you're, you're buying at the apex of the value. There's no question about that. He, he was much more valuable this season because of where you were able to take him. So I'm with you from a process standpoint that it's maybe not the best decision, but can you really fault someone? It's oh, You no, can't really say yeah. it's a bad pick. It's yeah, just, yeah, you know, this is not. what the market's going to be. Yeah, i just trying to get your opinion. And what I, I like to eliminate question marks in the first round. If you have one, I just don't take you. Not that everyone's perfect, but I try to limit question marks. And Otani has a ton of them love the guy <laughs> uh the next pickup was uh was it this pick number seven uh palm amino fantasy over Rota fanatic he picked jose ramirez uh paul spore took mookie Betts, which we can hang there for a second um i mean he's just you know consensus top four pick this year showed a little bit of warts this year he's got his money he may not have the incentive to run as much as he did in the past um we know what his upside is uh, do you think he is a safe bet for first round pick? Yeah, I think the hip issue was a huge problem. We saw it there in the second half. It had been bothering him all season, and he got the all-star break. He didn't go to the all-star game. He actually got some rest, and he came out just on fire first couple of games, and then the hip issue flared up again. So I think the question is, with his health, are we going to know in the spring whether or not his hip is good or not? Because They've basically, the Dodgers have basically said there's, there's no surgical option for this. He basically just needs to rest and they can, they can try to give him cortisone injections and things like that to try and eliminate the issue. But I mean, you and I, we, we doing the news. I mean, we're following all these updates and you know, the, there's, there's at a certain point, it's just a, a pain tolerance issue. And, and at some point it's going to get better for him. I can't imagine this is something that's just going to define the rest of his career. So uh, he's a guy I, I want to watch closely in spring training and see where the reports are on his health. And, you know, Cody Bellinger is a good example of this too. I mean, just guys who had weird disastrous years from an injury standpoint. So bet on the talent with Mookie. I, I think he's going to be just fine as long as the hip is okay. And it's, it's a tough call, but I think he's definitely a first round caliber talent based on the rest of his career. So this point he he's, as, as solid as it gets at this point. There's, there's been very few guys who have been as consistent from a five category standpoint. Yeah. As far as his injury, I think, like you said, it's something that could, that's going to heal with rest. It's not like Christian Yelich's back issue, which is just a recurring career ender almost. Um, the, he could, it could be a steal if he's going at the end of the first round. Not that you can have a steal, but it'll be one of those guys where it's like, wow, you know, you can pair him with, uh, you know, an ace pitcher at the end of the first round, be very happy. Uh, up next, Eric Cross. Uh, where are we at? One, two, three, four. The ninth pick, uh, Eric Cross took uh, Bryce Harper, which I don't think you can really argue. He was a he was kind of someone who was a borderline first pick last year, uh, first round pick last year. He didn't make it because of those clumped starters in the very end. I mean, he's having an MVP year. He goes up and down year to year. But as far as like consistent power, some speed, counting stats, he just seems like a just maybe not the likely ceiling that some of these other guys have, but he just seems like the, just one of the safest bets to just give you exactly what you're hoping to draft. 
Yeah, he's he's very similar to not not similar in the type of player that he is, but from an end of season production standpoint, you know, Jose yeah. Ramirez, you know, those are guys you can just kind of lock in. You know, you're going to get that first round return from them most likely. So, extremely high floor players, not a lot of risk. So, you talked about trying to eliminate question marks. I mean, those are guys with with multiple years of proven track record, elite production. Hard to argue any of those types of picks at this point in a draft. Uh the with the uh, with the. <laughs> the 10th pick, uh, the dust mite, which is over on the uh, Rotosaurus podcast. Uh, he took Bo Bichette in the first round, which I think we all kind of saw coming. Uh, I, I think that there were some people that thought about doing it last year, but he just, you know, he just needed to prove it a little more. Any issue with bumping up Bo Bichette into the first round? No, no, no. It goes back to the lineup question again. Uh, man, he's so talented. He had three hits today. I mean, he's just every every day it seems like he goes out there and gets three hits. Um, had a home run today. So, yeah, he's a good player. I, <laughs> I don't I don't have a lot to add. I mean, you're looking for the combination of you know 20 homers, 20 steals. He gives you that. Plus, he's going to eclipse 100 runs easily. Not a lot of guys are going to do that. So you have to pay that type of premium to get him on your roster. And the 11th pick, uh, Casey Bubba, uh, Bubba, you know, Bubba and Batflip, a podcast at B Dentrick on Twitter, takes the next pitcher off the board in Corbin Burns. I at 12 was hoping to get him and uh, didn't quite make it to me, but he's the next pitcher off the board. Three of the next, um, th- three of the next five picks are, or four of the next five picks are going to be starting pitching. Uh, but at the number 12 spot, me. Anyone listening to the show right now wondering where the heck Ronald Acuna is gone? Did we skip him? No, he fell all the way to the twelve hole, and I and I scooped him up. I originally wanted to go pocket aces. I actually chose the twelfth spot because I wanted to go pocket aces in this draft to see how it went. But I obviously obviously couldn't let Acuna go. He has the ACL injury. Uh, he's going to have the whole off season to work it off. He, he's reports are he'll just be ready. He doesn't look like he's going to miss the regular season. Obviously, there's a lot to happen between now and then. But the question is if he, when he comes back, will he be Ronald Acuna this year? And by that, I mean the speed is, is that something they're going to be able to get out of him? Because if you are just getting his power and his batting average, all of a sudden, you know, he's, you know, George Springer, you know I mean? Like, so if you're taking him in the first round, you're kind of counting on some of that speed to come back. So while everyone's wondering like, wow, how can you let a guy like this fall? Easily, just you don't. People are afraid of the speed, especially this early in the offseason. I struggle with this because we've seen a lot of guys come back from an ACL injury and be completely fine. I mean, more so in the NFL. I mean, it's football season right now, so it's it's on the brain. But you know, we've seen so many guys just come back. You know, in eight months, nine months, and are completely healthy. So I don't I don't tend to doubt those types of once in a generation talents like Ronald Acuna. I think if it were a different player, maybe you think about it. If it were somebody older, but you know, this is a guy who's still in his prime and I, I wouldn't have a lot of concerns with him. I think he's actually going to end up being a tremendous value. The question is how many games are you going to get out of him? I, I, I don't know the exact timeline for when he's going to be back, but you know, that that's the more pressing issue to me is, is when he's, is he actually beyond the field for the Braves? That would be my bigger concern. And, I, I liked your idea of going with the two aces. I mean, that was something that I was doing last year in a lot of drafts, and I, I found I thought it worked pretty well. I, this is this gets back to our point right at the top of the podcast when talking about Garrett Cole. It's uh, instead of being the first one to take a starting pitcher in the top five, where I think Cole and Degrom are going last year. It probably makes more sense if you're at the end of a round, you know, it, to to then look at taking two starting pitchers. You get two cracks at it, and and hopefully there you've solidified your rotation, and then you can figure out 
best player on the board when you get to that third, fourth round. Exactly. I mean, Zach wrote again, Zach took Garrett Cole one at the 12. If I wanted, I have the opportunity to take, I took in the first, first pick of the second round, I took Brandon Woodruff. I just like he builds every single year. I think the innings are now safe. The strikeouts are safe. I was thinking about Zach Wheeler, thinking about Walker Bueller, thinking about Max Scherzer. I could take any of them, but I could have taken any two of those guys. And I think that they are right on par with Garrett Cole. So that is why I didn't want to reach there. Where I start to get a little iffy on the pitching landscape is when you get into the Robbie Ray, Freddie Peralta territory. And I mean, there's even guys like I think Frankie Montes went like fifth, sixth round in this one. So six to me. Yeah, I mean, those are I, I wouldn't put those guys in in the class with those Woodruff and oh, Buell, no. those. Right, so I think that's where you start to get a lot more question marks about this. So that's why I feel more comfortable if you get at least one, maybe even two of those those early round, uh, you know, first second round starting pitchers because there's just a lot less question marks outside of injuries, and that's not something you can really predict. But you know, those are guys with a pretty uh, proven track record. The one guy I do think who went a little later than I thought, who I think might be in that class, is Sandy Alcantara. I think he might be in that group and he might be the best of those, that next kind of tier of starting pitchers. It'll be, well, I love Sandy Alcantara and I was, um, yeah. I was surprised. He, I mean, he doesn't go to the fourth round. We'll get to him. I was surprised he went as early as he did only because I didn't know if everyone was going to be giving him the credit because last year I was pumping up Zach Wheeler like crazy because, and he went in a couple of picks from now that he was always a strikeout pitcher. He finally got his sinker to start working in Philadelphia. And he was getting a lot of uh, he wasn't getting a lot of called strikes, which just decreased his called his overall strikeout rate last year. This year he marries the two. Now he's an innings eater, strikeout machine. Now Sandy Alcantara, you know, he throws like hundred miles an hour. He's an innings eater, and all of a sudden he's striking out a little more. But his mantra is still getting contact. The worry for me is that you know the the strikeouts aren't going to be there. But I think he's proven enough of them will be there. Where he's almost like the the Bryce Harper we said. Uh, he doesn't have the ability to jump up and do some crazy um, otherworldly like Cy Young type season. Like he, you know, although what he's currently doing is certainly um, deserving of some votes, but his floor I think is probably just as safe as anyone on the board, arguably. Yeah. I mean, he's had four double digit strikeout performances since August 1st. So that's, he, he's kind of doing it all right now. And I, I think the baseline is, is, pretty high his floor so i feel better about his floor and you know i you know i love freddie peralta but the floor is actually kind of low with him when you're drafting him this high that was the case for taking him last year in those later rounds because you looked at the ceilings like even if he throws 100 innings the strikeouts are going to be just stratospheric so that was you were getting you, you were getting a lot of profit out of when you're taking him last year. Now you're assuming all the risk with the workload and the injury potential. So I'm okay with that sometimes. Oh, as someone who took Corbin Burns everywhere this year at like the uh, four five turn, um, I think once you're in that area, I'm okay. I don't I won't put Peralta in quite that same esteem uh, yeah. as I you know as I did, but um, I should say three four turn, not four five turn for Burns. He went right where like Lance Lynn was going, uh, hey. but. Uh, Going into the second round, uh, uh, Casey Bubba, he pairs Corbin Burns with Walker Buehler. He goes pocket aces. Dust Mike goes Bichette on the first, then Zach Wheeler. Eric Cross pairs Bryce Harper with Mike Trout, who goes all the way to number 16. Do you have a problem with that? No. Is it okay to say I don't know with Mike Trout right now? Because I feel like we don't. We, well, we if just... you were drafting today, would you have – 
would you have like it's not a matter of like having an issue with him going earlier would you have taken him earlier probably not because we we literally don't know what's going on because yeah. is it it's the Angels have said it's a calf issue, but I don't know that you're out four months with a calf issue. Is I that? They call, did you see the uh, headline? They called it a nightmare calf issue. <sighs> Catastrophic, whatever adjectives <laughs> you want to use here. It's not good. We've seen Trout. He's had injuries in the past, and then he's come back and been totally fine. So if the Angels want to tell us that you know he's going to rest this offseason and then be totally fine and show up and hit – 320 with 45 homers next year i'll believe it but we just don't know right now what's going on so yeah. i want to wait for more information I, that's my issue with taking him in a draft right now obviously it's it's early season so you got to make decisions we got to do a show today we can't just say that about every player but mm -hmm. my stance right now would be i don't know and i i can't do it i won't <laughs> i don't want to well, here's as the great reason, as he is here's the reason i wouldn't do it that was he was the fourth pick in the second round of a 12 team roto uh, the next pick with uh, Paul Spore, he paired Mookie Betts with Max Scherzer. Fantastic. Paul Mamino paired Jose Ramirez with Freddie Freeman. He decided to wait on starting pitching, but again, you can't get a better base for hitting than that. Justin Mason takes uh, Parashoi Otani with Kyle Tucker. Now, if I wanted what Mike Trout was giving me, which is Mike Trout, look at what he did, everyone, by the way, before going down, folks. I mean, he's like still the triple crown guy. Yeah. Uh, but I think I would rather be wrong on Mike Trout and let someone else have him. And I'll just take Kyle Tucker, who are, you know, you're not getting the, you know, you're not going to be getting any, the elite batting average, but you're going to be getting power and speed and he's only getting better. I would rather have Kyle Tucker than Mike Trout this year, as we, far as today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could go down the list and say every player is an injury risk and that's just kind of a lazy cop out. But what we know right now is that Kyle Tucker is healthy and productive. What we don't know is whether or not Mike Trout's going to be able to play 150 games next year. We, we just don't know that right now at this point medically. Mm -hmm. uh, and here comes the, the Mr. Doctor with the very next pick in the second round takes Jacob DeGrom. Uh, this is probably the most worthless pick of the mock in terms of information to the audience because everyone here is, is kind of poisoned by the misinformation given up by the Mets. DeGrom says he's fine. The president of baseball operations says he has a torn, torn ACL. Partially. It's like, yeah. so we, yeah, we, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to mess with. I mean, if he goes through an entire off season of healthy, he's, he's taken to the, you know, the top of the first round uh, or he, you know, he could have surgery and be out for the year. So right now it's almost like, I think half the, if not 80% of this draft room just didn't, you know, I'm not taking him. Uh, well, I, I feel like you as a Mets fan and, and half the staff here at NBC sports says you, you're too close to the sun. I, I, I feel like it's, you have to get away from the situation here with DeGrom a little bit. And yeah, everything that happened is extremely concerning, but on a per start basis it was one of the best pitchers, obviously baseball this season. So I think he's going to be just fine. I don't know what happened with the Mets here in this second half. They had a lot of things going on. There were a lot of issues and it just seems like one of those weird second halves. And I, I'd, I'd be okay with DeGrom next year in this group of pitchers. I don't know that he'd be the first guy I'd take, but he's definitely deserves to be there because we can make cases about, you know, the health of all of these guys. Uh, so it, would it shock me if like DeGrom threw more innings than Max Scherzer next year? No, but you know, I, I think I'd still prefer Scherzer at this point. As crazy as that seems. As, as much time as Jacob DeGrom has missed, he is still, according to yeah. Roto scoring, the 10th most valuable starting pitcher in baseball. 
<laughs> which is crazy. Um, next up in the second round, uh, Dave Funnel at Sports Nuts 51 paired Trey Turner with Rafael Devers, which is fantastic. Vladimir Guerrero got paired with Shane Bieber, which I think a lot of people forget. Like people think that he had some bad season for some reason. They thought he was. They I someone the other day thought that the the sticky substance stuff was coming out, so he like had punted like a fake injury to get out of it. That's not the case. He's legitimately injured. And before he was injured, he was fantastic. Uh, we're going to hopefully see a spot start or maybe even two. Um, they'll be limited, but maybe at the end of the season, it'll be nice to see him get back out on the mound. But are you still willing to roll the dice on Bieber in the first couple of rounds? Yeah, go through his game logs. Okay, he made 14 starts before going down on June 13th, and he allowed three earned runs or less in 13 of those. Yeah. And he had, let's see six double digit strikeout efforts in those. So he was maybe a top five caliber starting pitcher the first four, like three months of the year. So yeah, he's going to be just fine. The problem is Cleveland didn't have much of an incentive to push him with a shoulder issue. He's basically the face of the franchise at this point, along with Jose Ramirez. So they need him to be healthy if they're going to compete at some point in the next, I don't know, half decade, whatever you want to call it. So there's innings limit, right? I mean, there was no reason to push him. Uh, late in this season to get back, especially with them out of the playoff race. So I understand it, and I, I don't have a problem with him in this this c- class of pitchers at all. No, no, no issue. With the 11th pick in the seventh round, uh, MLB moving averages pairs Fernando Tatis Jr. with Luis Castillo in this. I think me and you possibly will disagree here. The pitchers went way later I would rather have than Castillo, um, and I was all aboard the Castillo train um, at the, again, the turn this year, I was very happy after the main guys went to scoop up Aaron Nola. That obviously didn't work out. Scoop up Luis Castillo. Obviously that didn't work out. And Brandon Woodruff, that trio I loved uh, right now. I know how great he's been at the end of the year, but I cannot erase what I saw earlier. Um, so I think I would rather not saying that like he couldn't perform here, but I think that some of the hitters are still on the board. I, I think I just as soon take someone else. Um, and just take, like I said, Sandy Alcantara. I'd much rather have a lot of people are taking, they're taking a lot of credit away from Gaussman, which I know he's, his, the gas has kind of came out here, but I don't think Castillo should be going like two rounds before Gaussman. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I mean, see, this is, this is that group of pitches I'm talking about where there's a little bit of trepidation on my part. And this, this goes back to my original philosophy on starting pitching. And it's tied to research that Mike has done. And a lot of other people have done where this is the point in the starting pitcher group where you start to see the real bus. I mean, I can list a few right off the top of my head from last year's drafts, uh, Kenta Maeda, partially due to injury, uh, Zach Plesak, Guys who maybe in a smaller sample we we overestimated what they were capable of this season. So there are some. This is the group of pitchers where there's a lot more risk uh, of a total collapse. And I am of the mindset that I want to get one or two anchors in that real elite starting pitcher tier. If it's a snake draft, like you said, like you wanted to do with the the two pitchers in a row there at the turn. That's my ideal move. And then I kind of wait a long time and I throw as many darts as I can. And that strategy worked this year. I mean, just just looking at some of the, the pitchers you could get, you could get Trevor Rogers, Freddie Peralta, Logan Webb. Those types of guys were available later on. So uh, the, you're not going to hit on all those guys. You're going to have a couple of misses in that group of pitchers. But you only really need to hit on a couple of them, and it rounds out your staff. So I'd rather go in that direction and show up my lineup early on than rolling the dice on, you know, Castillo's maybe a bad example, but, you know, um, 
you know, Joe Musgrove maybe is, is a guy I'd be like, I, I think I can get what Joe Musgrove does later on. I think I can piece that together. All right. The uh, running a little bit behind, like I always do, because we love talking <laughs> baseball on the show. Uh, last pick of the second round is Starling Marte. I get the feeling he'll end up going earlier uh, just because mm-hmm. I think people will realize what a ridiculous uh, advantage his stolen bases were this season. So perfectly fine with that. Uh, the third pick, and this is Zach Roto. He pairs Cole with Starling Marte, then takes Salvador Perez uh, as the first catcher off the board. And I was all over him. I remember doing uh, one of our preseason pieces on how I like Salvador Perez more than Will Smith. And no, I didn't predict he would hit like 45 or 50 home runs. It's that he plays every day. Um, and that was what I liked about him. And that is kind of what have afforded him the opportunity to, to be out there. And that is, I think, his, still his most valuable trait. I don't think anyone anticipates him hitting this many home runs again. But yeah. uh, I didn't think he was going to go full Johnny Bench on us. But yeah. here we go. Um, you're right. It's the, it's the designated hitter, the ability to put him there. I've been the Dalton Varsho guy, a catcher on our staff for like the last year and a half. So maybe don't listen to me about catchers, but you're, you can't really go wrong. Hey, next, I think next year, man, might be the year. But I, <laughs> I think he'll be drafted just as early as he was this year, though. Yeah. Yep, exactly. All right. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, the second pick in the third round. I mean, he has the, in my opinion, a Juan Soto upside still. If he, you know, could stay healthy for a year, he obviously – you know, he's getting through some injuries here and there, but, you know, you can't argue the bats. I like Alvarez. He gets dinged because he has these minor physical issues. It's like the dude yeah. is massive. Like, he's yeah. going to have stuff from time to time. It's He's never going to be 100%, but, you know, if he's able to be out there, he's going to mash. You know what you're getting. It's an extremely high floor type of guy. Yeah, it's like, like the RBI record will probably never be broken, but Jordan Alvarez legitimately is the kind of guy who could do it. Uh, third pick in the second round, we have a run of shortstops in a row. Trevor Story, Xander Bogarts, Tim Anderson, Marcus Simeon. Do you think Marcus Simeon going in the mid-third, I get the feeling there's no way he lasts this long once people realize just how ridiculous he is, but it's going to be entirely tied to where he signs as a free agent. Where, where did he go last year? Wasn't it like that you could get him in the seventh, eighth, ninth round, something he went, like that? He went at, yeah, he went after oh. Carlos Correa, Dansby Swanson. Yeah, this is this is why when if you've seen a guy do it before, he can do it again. You you can't write a guy off because it's just one year. So that was a classic case there with Semi, and I think we all should have kind of seen that one coming, but. Yeah, is he going to hit 45 home runs again next year? I I don't think so. That's that's probably not going to happen. So he's going to finish around 45. So this, think, it's a crazy season. He's already think, at 40. It's, I think he should safely go in front of Story and Anderson from what we've seen this year. Bogarts, mm-hmm. I think, is just one of those, again, one of those, you can call him boring. I think it's just right down his production in pen. So he's yeah, he's safe. had some injuries too, and he missed time with COVID. So he, he there hasn't been as much volume, I think, as, as yep. we maybe would have gotten usually from Bogarts, but he's as, as consistent as it gets too. Yeah. Uh, so going to slide. Yeah. He'll slide for sure. Yeah. We'll see where he ends up as well, which obviously will be a downgrade probably yeah. <laughs> no yep. matter what. Uh, Ozzy Albies is the seventh pick. Uh, Paul Mamino refusing to take a pitcher. Jose Ramirez, <laughs> Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies. Uh, then Paul Spohr pairs Betts Scherzer with Cedric Mullins. The, yeah. one, again, one of the more interesting guys. It's is this the Randy Rosarita pick? I mean, the 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 pick that where you're hoping you're probably drafting him above his, 
you know, above his ceiling. <laughs> what What's funny is, uh, you know, Craig Goldstein. Okay, he he was the original like Randy Rosarena is just not that good. He's just got bit by a radioactive spider and turned into the best hitter in baseball for like a month. Yeah, Mullins is is just playing with so much confidence, and the combination of the skills. I think once a guy makes that kind of a leap, you can't write him off anymore you you can't really doubt him i, th- oh, I think i didn't I think mean to do i didn't mean right. to do that i meant i meant how about this um he obviously has injury issues the guy i'm about to bring up but look at what happened with austin meadows and where he mm-hmm. was being drafted going into the 2020 season like i'm just saying i love mullins and i actually fully believe and he's in a great ballpark but third right. round is like there's not a lot of roi there no i, I you're paying for the for the sort of the ceiling there but i'm trying to look at how many Meadows never had a 30 still season though. I mean, this is, this is, I'm trying to think of a better comp for him. Um, I mean, Starling this Marte, is, this peak, is basically peak, Mar- peak Marte is a good comp. That's, that's a good one. I think Jose Ramirez with a little, maybe a little less power consistently um, is in that range. You could, he's at the point you could compare him to a Mookie Betts. I, I wouldn't do it, but he's in that type of conversation if he starts doing this multiple seasons. So yeah, I, was, I, was I don't have a problem with away And I was taking him. For yeah, the record, for the record, I was taking him if he made it to me. Well, this is sort of like we talk about, you know, anchoring effect, recency bias. This is sort of an anchoring thing to me where just because he's done it one season, people are hesitant to take him in the first round. If he had had three years of this type of production, wouldn't he be a top five pick or something like that? Yes. So, yeah, I don't have a problem with him here. I think, like you said, this is this is kind of the right spot. Uh, the next pick went uh, in the third round, went to Eric Cross. He he paired uh, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout with Matt Olson. Love that pick. Good pick. Dust Michaels, Bo Bichette, Zach Wheeler, Whit Merrifield. Get those steals. Uh, Casey Bubba pairs Burns and Bueller with Tiasca Hernandez, which he sniped me there. I think that he'll be underappreciated by those. I think last year he was getting discounted too much because people didn't realize, didn't understand or believe that he could be stealing that many bases again. He's always had the speed. But that's the thing that's most interesting to me. Not even the high batting average, which people thought would slip. He stole bases the two years in a row, and I love that. So I think he is a. I think he's a great value for round three. It's it's sort of the George Springer thing, but with a better batting average at this point, where Springer could always get you a handful of stolen bases. So he wasn't a complete zero there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like a Charlie Blackman type of skill set, like the numbers that, that, that I think that's where he's going to age, where he's still going to be able to get you a couple of steals as he gets uh, a little bit older here. Whereas Blackman was like a 30, 40 steal guy earlier in his career. Now he's like a handful of season. I think that's where Hernandez gonna end up ultimately. All right. And my turn comes up. I go two back to back on the turn going the third and fourth round. Uh, my picks that I really wanted went off the board and Albies Mullins Olsen wit top. Literally I got like back to back to back to back <laughs> snipe. So I just sit in here to be creative. I know I'm doing the show. I'm like, okay, I would have taken Robbie Ray over Luis Castillo if you made me rank them for next year. As far as where I would have drafted him, that's a different story. I have always loved Robbie Ray. He's always been flawed. He's always had the ability to lead the league in strikeouts. I've just, from watching him, he, he they have figured it out in Toronto. And I do not think this is a fluke. And the only thing is taking him at the end of the third, beginning of the fourth, definitely seems like a very risky move. Um, him being my second starting pitcher, this feels kind of like a Corbin Burns type pick to me where he can legitimately lead the league in strikeouts, but he doesn't have the kind of innings limit 
like a Corbin Burns did. So I think that it's a risk that I'm willing to take. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see where he settles. Obviously, this is just 12 minds that are making up this one mock draft. But Robbie Ray, I, I think I'm going to be in on Robbie Ray. The, the strikeouts insulate against the risk of a total collapse in value. So <laughs> that's where you make the case for him here. I struggle with this because I understand what he changed and how he got to where he got to. But it feels like for the last few years, we saw so many. This is the adjustment. Robbie Ray, he's got it. He's got it figured out. How many How many people wrote that story in the last five, six years? I struggle last with that. Last year, he made that little adjustment where he was holding his hands. It's every year. Yeah, every year. Oh, for multiple organizations. Like you can go back to his time in Arizona and find stuff. It's, you know. But it seems like this actually is sticking and the control has been so much better. Yeah. I don't have a problem with it here. I think of this group of pitchers, he has the highest strikeout upside. I think he's literally like the career caper nine leader in baseball history at this point. Is, or something like that. I, when I saw that, I was stunned. But yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, well, part of it's thing, the era, but were, the stuff is, is amazing too. It, it's uh, If I can ask the audience this, either you believe in him or you don't. Like try to get the risk out of your head. Let's just say you do believe in him and you are expecting what you got this year, next year, he's a second-round pick, right? Maybe a first-round pick? <laughs> if you were guaranteed, which there are no guarantees with anyone. Yeah, it's just like the Mullins thing. I mean, just because we've only seen him do it once, there's going to be a little bit of a discount here because people are going to doubt that he can do it again. But, uh, yeah, I do like him. And then controversial pick here. Half the room loved it. Half the room didn't. I take Francisco Lindor. Um, even in his – really one of the, the worst year of his career, the batting average aside, the batting average is low. His power and speed, um, if you give him the extra like 250, 300 player paid appearances and put him on like a, a trajectory, he's not that far off from his career norm. And he's if if you just give him that little extra bump of how he's been hitting in the first, the second half versus the first half, I think people, I think people think of him as like a former first round pick, second round pick and think, oh, like, he can't possibly be that, but that's not what Lindor ever was. He was never going to go out there and blow the doors off of one category. He's a death by a thousand paper cuts player. He's going to have an okay average. He's going to score a hundred runs. He's going to score like 90 RBIs. He's going to get you like 25 to 30 home runs. He's going to get you like 15 to 20 stolen bases and all that added together is, you know, something that not a lot of people do. So I think in round four I'm in, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that, Already, like there were so many, um, <laughs> there were so many shortstops off the board, and I really wanted to get some more stolen bases, especially after drafting Acuna, where I wasn't sure I was getting them. If you want to write off Francisco Lindor going into an age twenty-eight season, I don't. <laughs> that's a mistake. I, he's still in his prime. We've seen what he's capable of. The steals are still going to be there. So this 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 is kind of similar to the Semyon thing where it's like yeah he had one really weird year and it doesn't mean he can't get back to where he was before so if he does that he's he's going to exceed what this position is so i i don't have a problem with lindor picking here at all i get None. the feeling i i think i reached where i didn't have to of course you're on the turn you have to do that no matter what right he wasn't um, going to be there next time but yeah, I think he I think he would have fallen a little bit more. Um, the next pick uh, in the the first the second pick in the fourth round, Manny Machado, then Aaron Nola, Sandy Alcantara, we mentioned before, then Wander Franco. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? <laughs> Thoughts? He's I really mean, I good. Gotta, I, I, I um, love him. I'm out. I mean, it's, I need to see a little more than this. <laughs> okay, so 
it's an on base streak. Yes, he he is going to give you some power here, but if it's not an OBP league, I really struggle to value him because we don't know what the next step is going to be for him. Uh, some guys make the leap immediately, but he's he's twenty years old. I mean, this is you you can't expect him to immediately be a star. We saw this. I feel like we just lived this with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., where it's like you he's he's. He's so young, you can't just expect him to come out here and hit 40 home runs. But he could do it someday, and it could be like next year, which is kind of what happened with him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the jump could happen very quickly. He's like a rocket ship. Like once he takes off, you're not going to be able to stop him. But I don't know that you're getting that type of season next year. So that's a huge risk here in the fourth round. If if he's phenomenal, you look like a genius. But this is also one where it's like you could be wrong here, and you're left with – you know, passing up some of the guys who went after him, it could be a mistake. So that's where I would be cautious here. I agree. Um, I just need to, I just need to see a little more. I'm, I'm, I'm ca- I'm more like risk averse. Uh, so I'm, I'm never going to go there. Uh, the next pick back to back closer start going off the board in Hader and Hendricks. No surprise there. One goes, the other goes. Then Kevin Gaussman, Lucas Giolito, which is another reason I'm taking Luis Castillo in the first or the second. If I can get Giolito in the fourth, he hasn't been that bad. Everybody, uh, mm-hmm. his uh, of him bouncing back to where you thought he should be this season is is not out of the realm of possibility. I think this is a perfect spot to take him. Uh, I would feel really good about getting him there. Then Aaron Judge, who actually has a lot more stolen bases this year than I realized. Uh, Nick Castellanos, and then to end the fourth round, I thought maybe the best pick of the draft value wise. Uh, Zach Roto got Luis Robert at the end of the fourth, which if anyone's not paying attention, he's made even not playing a lot this year. He's made tremendous strides uh, from going from his rookie year to his sophomore year. Yeah, the strikeouts, um, he's cut back on those a little bit. Man, I'm just looking at his Babbitt. It is a 420 Babbitt. That's, mm-hmm. that's Although, I mean, high. people it's deserve people, though. There's some people that just have that exit velocity and, and a sprint speed that just allows you to i mean you're not going to carry a 420 but there are plenty of hitters that can hit like you know carry a 375 380 they can do it yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to think of a good example of that um who wasn't like a power guy uh it's, oh, it's who, a so not a power guy yeah i can't really i mean tim anderson obviously carries a high babbit um his team uh, luis roberts teammate yon moncada he struggled a bit but he has the ability to carry very high babbit because he's very fast and hits the ball very hard but yeah, yeah i I don't have a problem with this at all. It's it's a great pick, but um, again, <laughs> man, he's only twenty four. It's it, it it still gets me every time. He's super young. Like he's I thought about not taking old him at all. instead of instead of Lindor, I almost took Robert twelve mm-hmm. picks before. The, the um, problem, like you said, is shortstop is a little bit. It's not shallow, but there's a clear divide between the top guys and and that sort of. Yep. next rung down where like i'd love to get like a jorge polanco later on but there's no guarantee you're gonna be able to get him so you yep. kind of have to take the plunge there with lindor but all right in the last round uh the first pick of the last round zach Roto takes freddie peralta we've talked about him already a little bit so we'll move past him alex bregman uh is the second pick the mlb moving averages then lance lynn chris sale julio urias and then justin mason takes Alberto mondesi which <laughs> You know the oh. yearly plunge. We've what he's done on the field this year has has been insane. Um, and I'm going to move through the rest of the round. You can tell me who stands out to you. Then um, Joe Musgrove goes. Then Paul Spore takes Max Muncie. Eric Cross takes Corey Seager. Dustmite takes Jesse Winker um, in the fifth. And then Javier Baez goes, and I end the fifth with Brandon Lowe. 
Yeah, I, I, I like that pick the most probably at the end there. He's been really good this season. He's up to seven steals, over 30 home runs. So th- there's still a little bit of a question mark about playing against left-handers. That's always kind of going to be there, especially with the Rays liking to platoon. So, but, but yeah, he's as good as it gets there at second base. Um, I I still like can't get over the Mondesi thing. <laughs> I was the guy who was making the case for like Billy Hamilton 10 years ago. And you know what I learned is these one dimensional speed guys, like it just doesn't get better sometimes. Although, I understand. He does have, he does have a lot of power. <laughs> sure. Yes. Um, I'm just saying I wouldn't call him one dimensional. He's like one and three quarters dimensional. I, Actually, you know what? For as flawed as he is <laughs> bat, like, you know, like we're, we're talking about flawed people like uh, Victor Robles. He doesn't actually have a, a bad batting average. No. He's like, despite himself, he's like Javier Baez, despite himself, he can come away with some pretty ridiculous statistics. <laughs> no, yeah. Look, I struggle with this because the, the, the year I go all in and just bash Mondesi is the year he's going to hit 35 home runs and steal 60 bases. So I've already accepted that it's coming, but you just <laughs> – you're taking on so much risk at this stage of the draft with this pick. And I, I'm not even sure – he's is he going to play third base next year too? Is that the plan? What are I'm they doing sure. here? The, because... the Royals came out a couple of times this year and said that they didn't weren't planning – they weren't counting on him for their future plans. Right. A lot of iffy stuff. Um, but at least – I mean, last year he was going in the second round. That's where he was mm-hmm. going. Um, this year the fifth round, so not you know quite as bad. I can see taking a gamble if – like. Justin Mason, for example, he took Otani, who could get, you know, 20 plus stolen bases, Tucker, stolen bases, Simeon can get some stolen bases. I could get it if you were like a team that just was just void of of speed and maybe wanted to take a shot. You had no shortstop and you needed speed. Like Like if if you went Vlad Jr., Jordan Alvarez in like the third round, like that, that I could see. It's like, okay, maybe I need some steals. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, maybe something like that. I could see there, there's a I could see taking a shot, but yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Um, and uh, any any surprises as far as like you know, you know investing in Chris Sale, of you know Justin Verlander, people like that will be back. Um, is there uh, Joe Musgrove went in this round? Julio Urias, mm-hmm. Chris Sale, Lance Lynn, Freddie Peralta. I we know your your feelings on Peralta, but is there any names you feel don't belong here? That don't. Um, that's a tough question. I think. I would say Winker's maybe the the riskiest of the guys just be, of this group. I I like Sale the most probably of this because it'll be second year back from from Tommy John. That's usually when you really get the full bounce back and he's been good this year. So it, a little bit of a soft landing though. He hasn't really faced any tough lineups. I think he faced the Rays once, but he's gotten like the Rangers, the Orioles. I mean, it's it hasn't been a murderer's row. He hasn't faced the 27 Yankees at all. So I, I think he's probably the, the best pick of that range. But uh, I struggle with Winker just because the second half hasn't been great. And I know he's been unlucky with some injuries, but he doesn't really run. So the ceiling's a bit limited there. So there's just more, you know, five category guys I'd rather look at in that range. All right. Uh, and before we go, uh, wrapping this up about a half hour after I promised. Sorry, DJ. Um, who is the pick that you two pick two picks? You don't have to explain, but who is the one guy you're like, there's no way he's going this late in real drafts when they starts up or in another one. There's no way he's going this early when real drafts start up. I think Cedric Mullins would probably be that pick. I think he's going to find his way into the second round in most leagues. I feel like that's that's definitely going to happen. Um, the guy who's going too early, 
Trevor's story, I think we kind of hit on it. Yeah, I just I don't I don't see it, especially once he changes teams. It's probably not going to happen. He's not going to go that high. I I'm interested. One going early is Salvador Perez. I mean, mm-hmm. we're through five rounds. JT Romuto hasn't even gone yet after <laughs> Perez went in the third. I, I'm interested to see where people value Perez. Obviously, if you believe he does this again, he's for sure uh, valuable in that spot. As far as someone that was taken uh, too late, uh, I don't see – I think some of the pitchers are going to go earlier, like all of the pitchers. In, I feel like general. Logan Webb is going to be like a top five-round pick. Like yeah, It's, it's I, going I to happen. People are going to believe that – like. He, they're going to extrapolate it a little bit more. I think, like, oh, I, mean, wow. I think, I think Ray goes earlier. I think Alcantara goes earlier. I think Gaussman goes earlier. It depends on how they end the season. I think sale will go earlier, but yeah, it has a lot to do with how they end the season strong. Um, but uh, yeah, in general, uh, that is the first, first five rounds of the ridiculously too early mock draft. George, <laughs> thank you for, for joining me. We'll do another one of these uh, probably at the, uh, you know, once the, the season is actually over, but uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it, it'll be a, it'll be interesting year with the people. I think it'll all depend on uh, where everyone decides their philosophy is for starting pitching next year and yeah. what they value. This has been one of the most interesting fantasy seasons we've had in a long time. There's just so much changing within the game from, from the landscape to the actual like composition of the ball players roles. Like there's so many variables to, to factor in that it just makes all this fascinating. We could probably talk about it for days. So we've gone super long here on this one and it's been super fun, but we're going to be doing this all off season. So get ready for it folks. All right. Uh, George, let everyone remind everyone where they can find you. Uh, you know, what days you put out your work, just all that fun stuff. Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at George Bissell. You can read the Daily Dose that goes up on Wednesdays and Sundays and read all of our stuff. Matt, your columns on Mondays, the the numbers-oriented columns, those are some of my favorite stuff. So make sure you're following Matt's stuff as well. Uh, We put out so much good content at NBC Sports Edge. I, I recommend all of it. It's all really great. And uh, make sure you're subscribed to the bases loaded, uh, circling the sorry, <laughs> the circling the bases podcast. We are five days a week during the season. We're going to go down to uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday during the playoffs, and then Wednesday, Friday in the off season to keep you updated on everything. So make sure you're just tuned in for that. Uh, you know, baseball season never ends. As soon as the World Series ends, there's one week off for everyone to re-sign their own free agents. Then you got the then you got the owners meetings, the winter meetings, and it just keeps on going from there. So again, thank you for listening to Circling the Basis Podcast. We'll be back next week with a actual weekend recap. See everybody. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.